Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Working Class Heroes Radio. My name is Lupita Romero, and I'm one of your hosts for tonight. And I'm Khadija Matter, your other co-host. Today, we are going to talk about the fight to end the horrific practice of solitary confinement in New York prisons with organizer Victor Pate. But first, we're going to kick it to Julian and Mel for our weekly headlines. Before we go to headlines, we want to recognize that we in New York City live on land that was stolen from and still rightfully belongs to the Lenape people. We stand in solidarity with the Lenape people and all indigenous peoples in their struggles for liberation. On to headlines. The entire country continues to wait for the resolution of this week's election. But as of now, Biden's vote count seems to be growing over and above Trump's. So a Biden presidency will be the likely outcome. Until the final decision comes, Trump and his administration continue to sound the alarm of voter fraud and have begun lawsuits to end ballot counting in swing states. Throughout the week, several actions occurred disrupting get-out-the-vote and ballot counting measures, and more stories continue to surface. In North Carolina, this past Saturday, during the final day of early voting, the City of Graham Police Department descended on a get-out-the-vote rally hosted by Reverend Greg Drumright, using pepper spray on event goers and arresting eight people. And on Wednesday, a group of Trump supporters shouting, Stop the Count, stormed into a Detroit convention center where ballots were being counted. Video shows them banging on windows outside of the building. A similar event happened Wednesday night in Maricopa County, Arizona. On Thursday, there were reports of Trump supporters chanting, Stop the Vote, outside of voting sites in Philadelphia, where ballot counting continues. Alongside the election were several state referendums across the country worth noting. New Jersey and Arizona have made marijuana use recreational, while decriminalization of marijuana passed in Washington, D.C. and Oregon. More conservative states like South Dakota and Montana are moving forward on medical marijuana initiatives as well. In 2016, more than 6 million people in the U.S. were ineligible to vote because of felony convictions. But that number continues to shrink as first Florida and now California has restored the right to vote to people on felony parole. California voters, however, struck a blow against workers' rights. The passage of Proposition 22 will now stop thousands of workers in the gig economy from receiving benefits and further labor rights. This ballot measure was put in place by billion-dollar companies like Uber and Lyft, who spent over $200 million the most money ever spent on a ballot measure to stop recent legislative victories by drivers and their organizations to categorize them as employees rather than independent contractors. As coronavirus cases soar to 121,000 cases this Friday, breaking world records of new cases per day, a recent study suggests that between June and September, Trump's 18 campaign rallies may have caused some 30,000 coronavirus infections and more than 700 deaths. Many of those rallies took place in locations experiencing outbreaks and followed lax safety protocols, with pictures showing thousands of packed attendees without face masks. Even though Puerto Rico doesn't get to vote in the presidential election, November 3rd was still election day on the island. Despite the low turnout where only 50% of voters participated, the lowest in over 72 years, Puerto Ricans voted for a new governor of the island, local political offices, as well as a sixth referendum on statehood. Votes are still being counted to determine the new governor, 
but as of the moment of this recording, Pedro Perluisi Urusia, gubernatorial candidate for the New Progressive Party, the island's main conservative party, is currently ahead of his rival, Carlos Delgado Altier, in a very close race. Meanwhile, the referendum on statehood organized by the New Progressive Party passed with 52% against the 48% who voted against it. However, U.S. Congress remains unlikely and unwilling to act on the statehood vote. One final thing to note is the significant rise of support for candidates of the Puerto Rican Independence Party, whose candidates captured nearly 30% of the overall votes cast with their gubernatorial candidate, Juan Dalmau, securing double-digit numbers, the first time for the Puerto Rican Independence Party since the 1950s. And in local news, this past Sunday, Ernesto Guzman, a 42-year-old food delivery worker on bicycle working in the Upper East Side was killed in a hit-and-run while making deliveries for a pizzeria in Harlem. The driver has not yet been identified. A GoFundMe has been started to raise money to cover costs for his funeral and to return his remains to his native land of Mexico. We will send out a link to his page in our next newsletter. This follows a large action by delivery workers in October organized to bring attention to the struggles workers have been facing with assaults and robberies of their e-bikes. And in immigration news, groups have been organizing against recent activity by immigration and customs enforcement around the city. We spoke with Brian from Mexicanos Unidos and Sunset Park Ice Watch, who was out on Thursday night during their ongoing Ice Watch events, responding to reports of ice activity in the Bronx, to get a sense of the work they've been doing. So last night we went out there um, we had reports of ice in Fordham um, in the Bronx, which is a long ways from Sunset Park, but um, but it always makes us hypervigilant because Sunset Park has a history of battling um, ice raids and ice operations, mainly because it is a predominantly immigrant community, mainly because of what happened in Fort Greene, which is where um, nor, neither the NYPD nor ICE wanted to take account for unmarked officers that were harassing a whole building. Um, so... And then they not, neither of them wanted to investigate who those officers were. So it really made us made it clear that it was a community that had to like organize in order to, to respond to the terrorism that ICE produces, honestly. And it's just it's also a political thing where they want to sow chaos and distrust between municipal authorities and 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 the people. Lastly, on November 2nd, supporters of Prakash Churaman, a young man incarcerated on Rikers Island and who's been fighting for his innocence for six years, turned out to his latest court date. His new assigned attorney was recognized by the court, but the motions put in by that attorney requesting pretrial release and bail for Prakash were denied by Judge Holder on grounds that nothing had changed between Prakash's first trial and his current retrial. Even though the state appellate court believed Prakash did not have a fair trial under Judge Holder the first time, Judge Holder has not recused himself for the retrial. Prakash's next court date is December 9th at 2.30 p.m., marking the six-year anniversary of his arrest. His supporters plan to rally on this next court date to bring more attention to his case. And that's it for headlines this week. Stick with us after the musical break for the rest of the show. I'm so angry with you. You say that I'm the one who's gone insane. 
That was Gone Insane by Lucius. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming on WBAI.org. So as we were preparing for this episode tonight, we heard the news that Biden was announced president. So we just want to take a second to give a shout out to all the working class organizers and activists who've been fighting for the last four years to make sure that Trump was ousted in this election. This is a win for all of you. Absolutely. Um, but we also want to say that today's show is going to focus on a population of people who do not have the right to participate in this democracy or have their voices heard, in particular incarcerated folks, specifically immigrants currently detained by ICE, who are facing outrageous conditions in detention centers. And conditions in detention centers have been really egregious for the last decade throughout Biden and Obama's administration, but have gotten especially horrifying during Trump's administration as he goes on to implement racist anti-immigrant policies. And so advocates have been challenging this for a long time. But obviously, because of the pandemic, the issue of releasing immigrants who don't have to be detained and shutting down detention centers has obviously been more urgent than ever throughout the pandemic. And so advocates have been challenging ICE on a number of issues, the lack of social distancing and the crowded populations in their facilities, the lack of PPE and the lack of medical treatment in their facilities. They've also documented the ways that ICE has actually helped to spread the virus because they continue to shuffle people across their facilities. And because of this outrage, they've actually been forced to release hundreds of immigrants across the country as legal lawsuits and public outrage force them to release people before their time. That's right. Um, but unfortunately, not everyone has been released and COVID cases continue to spread. Um, and immigrants have been trying to bring public attention to the neglect that they have been facing. We wanted to now share a clip from someone who is currently detained in the Bergen County, New Jersey Detention Center. This is what they had to say. Yes, um, good morning. Um, well, the, uh, it was a group of guys that was doing a hunger strike based on their um, health conditions. So they was doing it for three days straight, and an ICE officer came, and um, he was threatening them. He was telling them that he's here to let them know that they're not going to accomplish anything, and that if they continue the hunger strike, that they will uh, surrogate them and put them on single cells for 24 hours a day. An inmate, a detainee by the name Morales, he, he told an officer, size officer name was um, Jose Peralta. He was a supervisor. He told him that if you don't, if you don't have any um, solution to the problems, that they don't want to speak to him, that he can leave. So the ICE officer Peralta told Morales, like, look, are you threatening me? He said, no, I'm just letting you know that we're not going to stop. We're going to continue. And if you don't have a solution, you can go. So the ICE officer Peralta told the um, sheriff to um to call to call a code so they can lock them in. So they took him out. Since speaking in this clip is one of about a dozen people who were apparently unexpectedly transferred from a jail in Newark County 
to the Bergen County Jail. And so they've been organizing this hunger strike specifically to protest the transfer that happened, but also their ongoing exposure to COVID in Bergen County Jail. Um, this hunger strike has been going on for a couple of days. And later on in the clip, which we didn't get to play, the person who called in to speak about these conditions actually describes how solitary confinement is essentially being used by ICE as a form of quarantine instead of any sort of medical treatment. And the ICE detainees are being taunted for requesting medical um, facilities and also being force-fed um, to break up this hunger strike. And so this is something that is ongoing and that ICE has actually not made any comment on. Absolutely. And we know that, that, you know, that's absolutely horrific. And actually, these are forms of torture. And these folks do have good reason to protest they're being transferred to this detention uh, facility. We know that the first positive COVID case in ICE detention happened in Bergen County Jail in February. And in late March, U.S. District Judge Ana Lisa Torres ordered the release of 10 immigrants with chronic conditions who would be especially vulnerable when the virus began to spread within the detention center and across other facilities, specifically because ICE refused to stop transferring people back and forth from their facilities. And as of now, ICE has reported 6,863 positive cases of COVID-19 and 19 deaths due to the virus. But service providers and advocates maintain that ICE has been, as you know, we should not be shocked by underreporting these numbers. Absolutely. And they've been unreporting them in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, one, they only have to report COVID cases uh, that actually result in medical treatment. And so by just refusing medical treatment to a lot of people who are being exposed, they're able to underreport. But also we've gotten reports that they're deporting people um, as soon as they become symptomatic and before they actually have to document any of this exposure or cases. And so there's definitely many ways that we can say that we cannot trust the numbers that are being put out by ICE on this. And certainly their practices are completely criminal and horrific. And it's important to point out that because immigration detention is a federal issue, um, there's really not a lot of recourse for immigrants themselves to challenge or get regulation over these detention practices. It's all sort of under the federal jurisdiction of Trump's administration, um, now Biden's administration. Um, but there are ways that people are fighting back um, just this week on November 2nd, over 100 organizations from New York and New Jersey addressed a public letter to New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, where they outline a platform of policies that both governors have the absolute authority to implement and which would help protect immigrants from COVID moving forward and actually help to reduce and eventually shut down detention centers in the tri-state area. And I just want to highlight that um, as a public issue, most Americans, the majority of Americans do believe that immigration detention is currently inhumane and actually want to see legislation towards the release of undocumented immigrants and for a path to citizenship. So none of these things are things that are 
way too radical to do. It's something that the American public actually largely agrees with. Um, but to get back to this letter, some of the things that they've outlined in this platform of policies um, are very practical and immediate. Uh, and they include halting the expansion of immigrant prisons in New Jersey and New York by prohibiting cities and localities from entering into contracts with ICE. So this could be, you know, making sure that police doesn't collaborate with ICE, but it can also mean um, the city not entering into land contracts that allow detention centers to be built and operated in these cities. Some of the other policies also include suspending transfers uh, from people uh, in immigration facilities to stop the spread of COVID, uh, holding ICE accountable for their end, investigating them for their egregious mishandling of this pandemic in facilities, um, and finally granting economic relief and social services to these marginalized communities, specifically the undocumented workers who are already excluded from most social benefits in our society. Um, and so these are some of the policies that are outlined in that platform that came out this week um, and something that we hope both governors publicly address and respond to. Yeah, absolutely. And if we have seen anything uh, in the past few months, we've seen when people are united and fight back, we can achieve our demands. And so we look forward to seeing where our movements are going to take us from here. And uh, we look forward to fighting back. Um, we would like to now go to a musical break and we will be shifting to an interview with our correspondent, Danny and Victor Pate. Soñé otro mundo tan lejos y tan cerca, soñé otro viaje, cuatro caminos, cinco destinos, soñé la risa, soñé la ilusión. Soñé otro mundo, soñé menos joda, soñé una mañana que en fin se podía, soñé de un amor de noche y de día, soñé la fortuna, soñé la alegría, soñé de la luna que no se rendía y que a mi gato le decía, calavera no llora. Serenata de amor, calavera no llora, no tiene corazón. Soñé sin guerra, soñé sin temores, soñé sin vallas, soñé sin paliza. Soñé una faena que nunca sacaba, soñé una verbena que siempre otra vez. Calavera no llora. Okay, that was Otro Mundo by Manu Chao. You are listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming at WBAI.org. My name is Danny Katch, and I am really happy to introduce our listeners to tonight's guest. Victor Pay is an organizer with the New York Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement. Victor's a formerly incarcerated person, and he's been a longtime activist in criminal justice reform campaigns, going back to the Drop the Rock campaign against the Rockefeller drug laws, to currently also organizing around the campaign to release aging people in prisons. We are really, uh, really happy to have you. Victor, welcome to Working Class Heroes. We're so glad you're here. 
Well, thank you, Danny. And I'm very humbled and honored to be here on your show. And uh, big kudos to you and your group and the work that you all are doing to give platform and voice to the people that are voices and faces in the most part. Uh, thank you. But that's many times back your way. I think uh, the work that uh, that incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people have been doing in New York uh, for decades has been um, has been truly, truly invaluable. Um, let's get right into the first question. So you know better than most people there are many issues with our criminal justice system that are urgently in need of changing. Why should people be especially concerned about the issue of solitary confinement? Well, because of the fact that, you know, when you're talking about uh, human beings, you know, when you come down to the real matter of things, it's about a human being and the treatment that people are receiving, especially those that are amongst our most vulnerable populations. And when you're talking about people that are incarcerated, uh, you're not sentenced to torture and abuse. You're sentenced to a minimum or maximum period of time for a crime that was committed and uh, you were convicted of. And it doesn't state that you are supposed to be placed in a torturous circumstances or situations or be abused by staff and others while you are incarcerated. So we look at it on a broad perspective of the treatment of another human being. And you have to also look at the, what happens to that person once they go behind the walls. But then you have to look at on the back end, how does that person come out? Do they come out better or do they come out worse? A lot of that has to do with the treatment that people receive while they're incarcerated. And surely a person should not be treated in any way, form or fashion inhumanely because that's not what your sentence was, nor should your sentence include that. So when you're talking about why people should be concerned because these very same people that are behind our prisons and walls, someday they're gonna be coming back. Right. And how will they be coming back to our communities? Will they be able to come back to our communities to be better, to be able to function and be a productive, contributing persons in our community? On the one hand, that could possibly happen if they were treated humanely and fairly. But on the other hand, if they're treated inhumanely, unfairly, they will not become back able to be productive and contributing members in our community and to our society. So that answers for me the question why people should be concerned because how would you like yourself to be treated if you were unfortunate to wind up behind one of these prisons or jails? What type of treatment would you be receiving and or expecting? So it's a human matter more so than anything else. And I think that when you look at the whole spectrum of people in general, no matter what, no matter where, that we are all human beings. And I think that we should be treated humanely, wherever you may be. Yeah, no, that's that's a powerful argument. And it is kind of um, wild how rarely when people talk about prisons, they ask the very basic question about what how people are going to be affected when they come out. I, I want to ask you, you, you yourself are a survivor of solitary confinement and you, you you work with many other people who are when you talk about it as a form of torture could you to the best of your ability try to, to explain to people what what effect it can have on i'm sure it has different effects on different people but but your own experience with it and, and why you would call it torture well 
Um, I guess. Well, first of all, you know, I guess I get. I guess I can consider myself a survivor, but survivor to a certain level because anyone who has spent any time in solitary confinement, there is collateral damages, psychological damages that you know you never ever actually get over. You just learn to deal and cope and you develop coping skills, but you never really heal from that experience. I've been out 25 years and I'm still affected by what happened to me during my period of incarceration. And I'm more profoundly affected by what happened to me while I was in solitary confinement um, that happened to me as well as what I've seen happen to others. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about isolating a person from population with any, without any other human stimuli, contact conversation, et cetera, et cetera, you begin to deteriorate, you know, and oftentimes people go into solitary confinement and they do not have a mental health issue. And unfortunately, oftentimes they come out with those mental health issues and you really get no treatment of any significant health issues, especially psychologically. So the effects of solitary confinement is for the rest of your life. My struggle to deal with the collateral damages psychologically is still with me. Um, not altogether well. Yes, you can say I'm a survivor because I came out alive, but I'm not, I have not survived that pain, that torture, that isolation, that darkness that I experienced. And, you know, not only just that, but I'm talking about the physical torture. I mean, you know, I'm a little guy, man. They, they beat me up like I was a 250 pound man. And not for anything that I might have done that would um, um, uh, challenge safety or security of a facility, but only because I spoke up and out because of the injustice that I seen happening to others. So uh, um, not that I did anything, you know, contraband, you know, weapons, smuggling drugs, dealing drugs, or any any real serious institutional rule violations, but because I, I was a voice. And because I was a voice, you know, I wound up in solitary confinement. And that was my punishment for me speaking up against the injustices that I seen. But to answer, you know, more specifically your, your question about, you know, what happens. So, you know, a person is placed in the cell for 22 to 24 hours a day. The only contact that you see is the correctional officers. And maybe, maybe once in a while, you might see a medical staff. And that's a very, very small glimmer of a maybe because you deteriorate so quickly and you get no no real address to your physical and or your mental state of being. So being locked away from general population conversation, we're human beings, we need human stimuli. When you don't get this, you begin to decompensate. So guess what? You start to create an alternative world to kind of sort of like try to deal with some of the loneliness and isolation. Sometimes that's, that's a coping skill. And I know that's one of the coping skills I use. I talk to people that wasn't in my cell. I, I created this alternative world to kind of sort of like take me outside of my immediate circumstances as a means to try to hold on to some sense of reality. So, you know, I seen things. I mean, I went to the park. I was at the beach. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. I was in an amusement park. I mean, I was everywhere. Right. From myself. 
But I had to do this in order for me to try to maintain some sense of sanity. Some people are not so fortunate. And some people deteriorate to the point that, you know, they're just gone. Once released, they don't even really even know who they are, who themselves are anymore. And it's oftentimes the ability to communicate with people is very, very difficult when you first come out of solitary confinement from the lack of being able to communicate with people. And, and it's just, you know, just a horrific thing that happened to people. And it does nothing for the safety and or the security. Of, and it does nothing to help a person address whatever their issues may be, maybe why they wound up in solitary. So I want to I want to come right back to that point. First of all, thank you so much for sharing all that, and and it's really for for, for the sake of people understanding. Uh, just just to give a station identification, you are listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI ninety nine point five FM, also streaming at wbai.org. We're speaking with Victor Pate from the New York Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement. You just mentioned at the end of your last comment, Victor, that that solitary does nothing for safety. And yet, whenever this reform is brought up, uh, it, it, there are complaints from, you know, probably usually the correction officers union and, 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 and law and order politicians that say that this would undermine safety in the prisons, would, would create more violence. What is your response to the idea that mm. solitary confinement is necessary to, uh, to prevent violence inside prisons? Simple, it's not true. How do you how do you compare the safety of a security and or staff and or other incarcerated persons by placing a person in total isolation from any other human contact whatsoever? And not even just placing them in ice, but then you abuse them and you beat them up. You right. know what I'm saying? And you 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 equate this with safety and the security of the facility. Well, how do you expect a person to get better if you treat them worse? That Can, does not add up. Just as a follow-up, you mentioned this before. So you're also you're saying that, that people in solitary also get beat up. So something with solitary, something that's supposed to be to prevent people from being supposedly, you know, whatever the reasoning is. But the, there could be no conceivable reason when someone's in solitary for them to then be beat up. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. And and I'm just saying just, and I think just because there's usually no um, accountability, there's no oversight in solitary, because when you're in solitary confinement, you're at, you're at the mercy of anybody and any staff that's there, because guess what? Out of sight, out of mind. You know what I'm saying? Uh, What's that thing they say about don't see, don't tell or whatever that, you know, whatever that phrase is. You know, we go here, no evil. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Like so, you know, you you there's no oversight. They're not going to tell on each other, and you kind of sort of like you know, as at their beck and call. And solitary, the only per- purpose that solitary confinement serves is punitive, punitiveness. Nothing. It has nothing to do with the safety and security of a facility. It has everything to do with punishment paradigm, which is what the only purpose that solitary confinement serve and it served no other purpose but to punish and break a person and to make you less than you were before you were in similarly here we go we have to bring it back to its root slavery all right prisons 
are based on slavery. When you look at the makeup, the, the, the modality of incarceration, it's based on slavery. Same principle, operation, just being used under another name. So when you look at, you know what I'm saying, people being placed in solitary confinement, it's the same thing they did to slaves when they came over here, okay? The first thing they would do was beat you, you know what I'm saying, and then separate you from the rest of the, the, rest of the, of the group. Same thing they do here. If you don't do what they tell you to do, if you don't do what they, in their mind, is a, 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 an infraction, they place you in solitary crime. Their answer for every discipline matter is solitary confinement. How does that address the safety and the security of a facility? And you mentioned something about, you know, a pushback from law enforcement, correctional office, because they don't understand, you know what I'm saying, the dynamics of people being placed in solitary confinement. Because guess what? It's a job right. and they get paid for watching you. So what do they care whether you are in solitary confinement or not? They're going to go to work and they're going to go home and they don't care. And they're not concerned because it's a human issue. But I bet you if they had to spend 24 hours in a cell by themselves, days, weeks, months on end, and in some cases, decades, I bet you they would change their mind. So, I want, I want to turn now to, from the problem to, you know, beginning the solution, right? Because you and the campaign are pushing for a bill called the Halt Solitary Confinement Act. I'm hoping you could tell our listeners what that bill is, how you see it fitting into to the larger goal of ending solitary completely, uh, and, and, and what your hopes are for it. Well, that's a hope that will be fulfilled. So, first of all, let me say thank you for that question. The uh the for people our listening orders in case you want to do your own research you can find this on the um, New York State Senate dot gov website or the New York uh, New York State Assembly dot gov website, mm-hmm. and the bill number is S one six two three for the Senate and for the Assembly A two five hundred. You can read about the bill, its language, what it'll do, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll make this, you know, as easy as I possibly can for our listening orders and hopefully people can understand it. So the whole uh, solitary confinement bill, remain alternative to long-term isolated confinement, it will create a more humane and effective alternative to isolated confinement, one. It will end long-term isolated confinement. It will restrict placement of specific populations in any form of solitary confinement that bans special population from being in any form of isolated confinement. It will create more humane alternatives. Now, what do I mean by humane alternatives? When we say humane alternatives, we're talking about specifically designed, first and foremost, nobody should be held in solitary confinement past 15 days. That is the one of the key components of our bill. Why do we say 15 days? The UN General Standards for Minimum Treatment of People in Prisons and Jails, which is now known as the Mandela Rule, 1957, came up with this minimum standard of the rule of treatment for people in prison and jail. 2015, it was revised, now known as the Mandela Rule. Within that context document, it basically speaks to people being treated 
um, how they're supposed to be treated while they're in prison and jail. They specifically point that says nobody should be held in any long-term isolated confinement, and they say 15 days, because anything beyond that is considered torture. Our bill is premised on that with the 15 days maximum that anybody can be held in any long-term solitary confinement. But what we are calling for is rehabilitation, therapeutic, and transformative services for anyone that has to be separated from general population for any reason, for any given period of time, but no more than 15 days. And throughout the course of this separation from population, that they will be given interactive human contact, real programmatic and therapeutic services, more out-of-cell time, and more opportunity to have access to social workers and psychologists and medical treatment, educational treatment, whatever may have you, that will help them to be able, when they have finished their, their, their sanction, to return to either general population and or be released back to the community, not as broken people. So our alternatives addresses all forms of disciplinary issues, psychological issues, especially for people who may or may not have any mental health issues. That's definitely a ban for them that we don't want anybody with any mental health issues to be placed in any form of solitary fine. However, we'll be placing specific uh, units that will be able to deal with the mental health issue. So it's an alternative. It's called humane alternative. And those are all of the key components of people being treated humanely, humanely and being uh, placed in specific units that's considered as residential rehabilitative units, RRUs, if you will. Wow. Well, that, thank you. That was really comprehensive. For our listeners, I just want to remind them, if you want to research this more on your own, again, in the Senate bill, that is S-1623, and in the Assembly, that is A-2500. You know, we want to get to callers, and there's so much to talk about. I did want to ask you one maybe quicker question before before we take a break and then and then get some callers in. It's, it's going back to, to personal, which is, you know, I'm, I'm just curious how you um, – you're formerly incarcerated. You know, you talked about some rough experiences you had. Um, how did you, um, this may be useful for some people listening, how did you end up um, doing the work you're doing and gaining the skills to be an effective organizer? You know, you're doing, you're involved in protests, you're involved in, in pushing for bills. You know, how, how did that, how did that journey happen for you? Well, I guess for me, you know, my journey actually began while I was inside. Like I pointed out that, you know, most of my, uh, you know, problem <laughs> happened because I spoke out against the injustices and what I've seen happening to other people. Um, and I kind of sort of like got engaged and involved in, you know, incarcerated persons, groups and councils that would address the administration on various uh, points of uh, displeasure, you know what I'm saying, things that needed to be changed. So, you know, mm-hmm. kind of sort of like tinkering around the edges. And I guess when I got out, um, one of my first organizations, and I definitely credit, and I'll have to say the name, the uh, Correctional Association of New York, is where I kind of kind of sort of like heard about them while I was away. 
And I said, well, I'd like to get with them just to see the work. I was familiar with the work that they do because they're kind of sort of like an oversight organization. They have the authority to go into the prisons and, and examine the conditions and they, they publish reports on the conditions of the finding. I went to the Correctional Association to one of their meetings at the time. You pointed out the Rockefeller drug law was actually going on at the time. And I went to the meeting and I sat in the meeting and I listened to what they said. And they said, well, we're having another meeting this day. I went back again and again and again and again until I guess kind of got familiar with the, you know, the points, the purpose, the goals and the speaking points and stuff like that there. And I guess that, you know, being involved in that kind of sort of set me on the path to doing the advocacy and organizing work. Mm-hmm. Um, I started at the Correctional Association. I was involved in just about every campaign that came out of that organization. And they was involved in multiple organizations for criminal justice reform. And I just knew, you know, Danny, that I could not forget the brothers nor the sisters that are and were still behind the prisons and walls and what they were going through. More importantly, what happened to me. And I promised myself that if anything I was going to do, I was going to be an integral part in anything that had to do with any form of criminal justice reform, either with the laws and or for the conditions of the people in prisons and jail, because what happened to me then is still happening now. And, you know, will continue to happen until we get personally engaged. And I think people that are most directly impacted by, uh, of the criminal injustice system are the ones that have the best answers and the best resolutions to solve these problems. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think you've done, you've done a lot of good work. So we are going to take a quick music break. Uh, when we come back, we will be answering phones. So please give us a ring, bring, bring your questions to Victor. The number here is 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. We'll be right back. Garden is no garden in Eden. Land of the brave and denial of freedom. Abolish ice, no more kids in cages. The war against black and brown bodies still rages. I cannot accommodate your silence. Political politeness upholds the current violence. Waving red hats, the new flag of hate. And all of this is stolen land, all 50 states. This nightmare will lucid. American dream. Lucy ain't the only one that will deceive. All the souls blindfolded, guide us to the light and keep hand holding. Eyes closed, the world feels cold. Who will buy back your soul and you've sold it? And who will buy back your soul and you've sold it? Okay, that was Garden by Ambar Lucid and Sir Sly. You're listening to Working Class Heroes on 99.5 FM WBAI, also streaming at WBAI.org. Again, we're speaking with Victor Pate from the New York Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement. Please give us a call. Talk to Victor at 212-209-2877. I don't think we have any calls yet. And Catherine, feel free to interrupt me when we do. But while we're waiting, Victor, I wanted to ask you, among the other issues you've been involved in is the COVID crisis happening inside the prisons. I know there was a rally recently. Can you talk about what's, there's a lot of people are finally starting to pay back attention to COVID now that this race is over, but what's been happening in the prisons is, is very frightening. Can, can you talk about the issue and, and, and the rally you were at? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So thank you very much. And that's another good question. Yeah. So of course, you know, as, as, you know, since COVID is hit and, you know, the pandemic, you know, you know, what we're dealing with out here. So just think, you know, what the people inside are even dealing with. So they, you know, they, they really, uh, have not done anything significant. Governor Cuomo has not done anything significant to address this COVID with the people that are in our prisons and jails. And just last week and last several weeks or so, you know, there's been a, uptick in the COVID infections more, more, um, especially at the Elmira Correctional Facility. And we were at a rally, like you mentioned last week, or, uh, you know, we had a cross state rally in Albany and, and at Governor Cuomo's office and out in Long Island simultaneously protesting Governor Cuomo's and our legislators' lack of attention to those of them that are in our prisons and jails. And, you know, we're just getting horror stories from the people uh, behind the wall. Uh, I heard somebody mention earlier about how they were using uh, uh, solitary as a form of quarantine. They were doing the same thing in the prisons up there. Um, when COVID first hit, they really had no plan whatsoever to address COVID for those that were incarcerated. So guess what? Who you think brought COVID in the prisons and jail? The show prisoners wasn't going nowhere. How you think it got in there? So the first thing their answer was stop the visits, stop family contact, quarantine, separate people, solitary confinement. And people were afraid to even report that because guess what? You're going to solitary and they weren't getting any treatment. And that's the bad thing about it. So they just, you know, of course they underreported the numbers because we had no idea to find out how many people were being tested. If any people were being tested at all, they weren't able to get hand sanitizer, but they were making hand sanitizer and they couldn't have access to using it. So COVID in our prisons currently, you know what I'm saying, is worse. You know what I'm saying? and getting worse and Governor Cuomo is not doing anything with any releases and it's just horrible um, and, and you know we're just hoping in the advocacy arena that more public pressure is placed on the legislators to push Governor Cuomo to do more to protect this vulnerable and to release some of these people look what they did in New Jersey 2,000 people 2,000 people did they release because of the COVID. Governor Cuomo is a shame. It's a shame, um, you know, that this he continues not to... He don't even say anything about the unpopulated. You hear, uh, if you listen to his, his conferences every day, he don't got nothing to even say about the people that in car. It's pitiful, man. Yeah. So actually, Victor, while you were talking, we now we now have three callers waiting. So we're gonna we're gonna try to get through. Okay. Um, so Catherine, yeah, if you could put the first one, the first person on... Um, Welcome to Working Class Heroes, Caller. Well, what's your name? Hello? Yes, hello. Welcome to Working Class Heroes. What's your name? Hi, hello. My name is Prakash Sherman. Um, I'm calling from Rikers Island right now. Yes, Prakash, welcome so much. We've, we've what's had up, so man? Much, yeah, so much feedback. <laughs> How you guys doing, man? How you guys doing, man? We're here. Um, Very happy to hear from you. Listen, man, I, I love the show. I love the topic. I'm currently incarcerated, and I could definitely, definitely relate to what, what everything, everything that was said. Um, I would like to shout out to all the brothers that's incarcerated, um, especially RNDC and Marjorie up in North. And um, I'm going to continue fighting, man, for my freedom. Thank you, man. Yeah. Prakash, thank you for calling. We know, we know you've got a court date coming up in, in December as well. Thank you so much. Thank you yes, for calling, yes, man. And you know we're going to talk, buddy. <laughs> definitely. 
All right. Excellent. Um, it's good to hear we, from him. Yeah, that, it's good that to hear from wonderful. him. Wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. Um, Catherine, do we, we have another caller? Hello. Yes, hi. Welcome to Working Class Heroes. Uh, what's your name? Hi, uh, my name is Erebos. I, um, I'm with the Fortune Society. Uh, I want to say first and foremost, congratulations and much kudos to Victor and, you know, all of you all that are you know, fighting the good fight. Um, I just wanted to add two two uh, small pieces to mm-hmm. what Victor was saying, you know, like the macro level and the micro level. On the macro level, this is about money. You know, it wouldn't, you know if they weren't making money, billions of dollars, incarcerating us, locking us up, and Victor referenced slavery. That whole thing was about money, you know. So that's that's why they, you know, they want to keep the millions of jobs they have, being, you know, uh, prison guards. Uh, the politicians get their kickbacks from it, their endorsements and everything else. So you know, it's not like they don't know. They, they don't care because if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And on the micro level, it's personal for some of these people that have anti-blackness anti-brownness, you know, their bigotry and their, pe- and their prejudice. For my 18 years of incarceration, I know from, from, from experience that the purpose of the prison is, is to make money, one, to feed their, their, their communities and keep it going. That's why I see those prisons up there and everywhere. The town, it's at the center, and the town is the beating heart of the town. The town is built around it. And on right. the personal level, the micro level, these people, uh, you know, they get a personal satisfaction, you know, as, as far as inflicting cruelty. It was Marquis de Sade that said the aphrodisiac, the, the greatest aphrodisiac is power over is power over a man, basically. Like so I, I, hate, I hate to interrupt you, caller, because everything you're saying is on point. We have a couple more people on hold, and I want to give Victor to respond to what you're saying. But that, but thank you so much for the call, Victor. Um, yeah, thank you for your weigh in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if you have a response. I mean, that was just a lot of powerful uh, analysis right there. No, no, he definitely right. You know, what I'm saying, why do you think they call it the prison industrial complex? It's mm-hmm. an industry, and they use people's bodies, you know, mostly people of color, Latinx, you know what I'm saying? Those of them that are impoverished. And this is the way for them to continue to make money off of the people that they go. So they depend on those jails being full. And that's another reason why the laws are the way they are to make sure that by hook or crook, there's going to always be somebody to fill a jail or fill a bed, which is why they produce thousands and thousands and thousands of uniforms and towels and sheets and bed, core craft, you know what I'm saying? Everybody who's been upstate, they know about core craft. You probably even worked for core craft. They produce in industrial furniture for institutions and beddings and cabinets and everything you can name of. And that's one of the biggest corporations in the prisons and jail, core craft. And they making a profit off of the prisoners. So he's right about that. It's about economics. Thank you. Yeah, and that's you know that's also an issue in the immigrant detention centers that Khadija and Lupita were speaking about earlier as well. Yeah, um, I heard that. Can try to squeeze in another couple of callers too. Um, thank, thank you, Catherine. So uh, if we could put the next caller on. Hello, welcome to Working Hello. Class Heroes. Hi, my name is David. Hi, David. Sp- speak your piece. Hey, hey. 
Great show. Listen, um, I'm a retired teacher, but my early days, I worked in two prisons in New Jersey. Minimum, I worked in a uh, maximum and a minimum and a juvenile. Mm. And I think that bill is great. I have a great question. We called it ADSEG over there, which I think might be the same term in New York. My question is, I don't think, well, my first, my comment, I don't think they should have ADSEG uh, solitary at all. And and your host there is wonderful with that bill. Did he? My question for him was, did he have any trouble initially saying don't have it at all? And secondly, when you go into ADSEG, into solitary, does that go against your time served? In other words, does it hold up the time that you're serving? And I'll get off the phone, and I, I, I wish him very, very well with that bill. I hope he gets it. Thank you, David. So, Victor, yeah, you, the question, um, I think you got the question. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so I heard. So let me answer the first part. So uh, in regards to the, to the first part, of course, our eventual goal is to abolish solitary altogether. That was definitely one of the, um, you know, uh, eventual goals to that there. And um, with regards to ADSEG, that, you know, you know, you have different forms of, of isolation. So ADSEG is usually your place in ADSEG that is a decision made by the administration, oftentimes um, for uh, your association, for your notoriety, uh, you know, through your affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the decision that's made by the administration um, that figures you're, you're, you would be a danger in some way and for their concern to the population and or staff. So they would place you in ad say, which is another form of solitary confinement, whereas you can be placed in punitive segregation, which basically is usually for some type of uh, institutional infraction that you were given a ticket for and you were given a sanction in in solitary, which you, you know, special housing unit. So one is through administration, which is why they call it ad seg, and the other one is shoe, which is basically punitive segregation for some type of um, institutional infraction. Um, did I miss, did I answering them both or am I missing one? Well, I guess I think the first question I thought, I thought what he was getting at was, you know, how do you see this bill as being a step towards, you know, what, what about trying to get rid of uh, solitary completely? And, you know, that, that that's sort of how I interpreted the question. So I don't, I don't know if you want to talk okay. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and here, here's, and I, and I have to mention this here. So, in Colorado, they reformed solitary. I happened to be fortunate to visit Colorado State Prison. Rick Ramish was the then uh, uh, commissioner. Um, uh, well, Victor, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. You just got to, we're almost out of time. So, if you could try to make this last phase, it's a very important point, but if you could try to make it fairly quick. So, they reformed, they reformed solitary without any legislation at all. It was, it was totally, total policy, and they got rid of, you know, solitary, and they have alternative units now, uh, which is called step down units, and there is no more solitary at all in Colorado, and they didn't have to do this through legislation, so they ended solitary. We're working towards that, but we're not there yet, so we'll start with a small bite first. Yeah, and I, I certainly wish we had a governor who uh, would take matters into his hands like that and, and, and try to be a progressive like he claims he is, but uh, we got to play the cards we dealt. So, That's um, for sure. Victor, thank you so much. This has been so informative, um, such a great discussion. So We wish we had more time because there is so Me much too. more to talk about. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for the work you and your group are doing. I just think that, you know, uh, we need more platforms like this. And we th- I thank you for your, you and your group, WBI, and everybody, you know, that's part of this here for just bringing this platform and creating this platform for the working class people to be heard. 
That's great. And just to remind our listeners again, so Victor is with a group called the New York Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement. And the bill that we've really been talking about here is called the Halt Solitary Confinement Act. So people can look that up and, and really should. That is it for uh, tonight. We're out of time. I want to thank Catherine, our engineer, for producing a seamless show. I want to thank the rest of our team. I want to thank everybody out there who's been organizing outside and inside. Um, and as always, uh, solidarity. Good night. Up to the sun comes up. No, I can't stop crying. And I can't let them break me. And I can't let them find me. My friend the governor Only if you wanna try me You can meet my other friend the judge Just in case you think I'm lying And I know you think I'm up to something I'm just eating, I was still hungry And this is mine, not legit I ain't leaving and you can't take it from me I remember when you used to tell me Run, run Go back where you come from Run, run, go back where you come from. We don't, we don't want your kind. We think you's a dumb bomb. Well, I'm America's son. This is where I come from, and this land is mine. This land is mine. This land is mine. This land is mine. This land is mine.